everything was dictated by food and body image, everything, romantic relationship, intimacy, friendship, education, interests, hobbies. I didn't have any because it was all food. Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. everyone. Welcome back to Shoulders Down. I feel like we're really in the flow of this podcasting thing. It's been like a little over a month and episodes are uploading every Tuesday. The listener questions are happening. We're really doing it. It's it's pretty fun. I'm having a lot of fun. I hope that you are getting something out of this podcast and thank you to everyone who's reached out and shared that they have already gotten value out of this podcast. So today, before jumping into our interview, which is going to be with another intuitive eating dietitian and actually a close friend of mine, um, probably one of my closest dietitian friends named Katie, I am so excited for you to hear the interview that we have in store for you. Before diving into that interview, we are going to be answering another listener question. So as a reminder, if you would like to submit a listener question of your own, the link to do that is going to be in the show notes. And just a little disclaimer before diving into the question. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. The information and education provided is not intended or implied to supplement or replace professional medical treatment. So today's listener question comes from someone named Daniel, and he asks, is it possible to eat intuitively when you are on a medication that impacts your appetite? This is an amazing question. Thank you so much for the question, Daniel. And there's sort of a few ways we could take this. So the first most obvious one, which is my hunch that this is what he's asking, is can you eat intuitively when you are on a medication that maybe has side effects that suppresses your appetite? Um, a lot of drugs for like ADD, ADHD can impact your appetite. And so this is the kind of angle, the first part of the question that I want to tackle. And then we'll kind of dive into other possible interpretations of the question. So the answer is yes, you can absolutely eat intuitively when you are on a, a medication that affects your appetite. Now, a lot of people think that intuitive eating is just about following your intuition. And it makes sense why people think that, right? It's like intuitive eating, eat according to your body's cues. But one of the official definitions of intuitive eating is that intuitive eating is a self-care framework that exists at the intersection of instinct, emotion, and logic. So let's break this down. Instinct is what most people think of when they think of intuitive eating, right? They think of your instincts, your intuition. But the other pieces I don't think are being as commonly spoken about, and they are absolutely part of intuitive eating. So emotion is the part of intuitive eating that says like you can eat according to like what would emotionally satisfy you, what would comfort you or what would feel good. And logic is the part of intuitive eating that says 
you can use your logical brain to think about what you have going on in the day, what's going on in your life, what potential attunement disruptors are at, at play in your world. And you can use your logical brain to sometimes override your intuition and choose a eating decision that maybe isn't ju- isn't what your intuitive cues are saying because logically you know that there is something else going on um, that is is necessary for you to override that intuitive cue. So let me give you an example because this all sounds very nebulous right now. Say you are someone who takes a drug for ADD, some kind of drug that um, or medication that affects your appetite that that um, sort of dulls your appetite. Say you take this in the morning. And you throughout the day don't have much of an appetite or maybe the first few hours of the day after taking the medication, you notice you don't have such a big appetite. Your intuitive cues probably are saying, okay, you know, we're not hungry. Like we're, we're not feeling hunger. And the metaphor that I like to use to explain really like what's going on there is we can think of like a gas gauge meter in a car. Pretending that the, the gas gauge meter is broken and stuck on full. So thinking about even if you drove that car a hundred miles, it would still show that the tank is full, even though you would logically know there's no way it's full. We just drove a hundred miles. So this is similar to what happens in your body when you have an attunement disruptor, such as a medication that affects your appetite at play. What's happening is in a way, your hunger fullness meter is like stuck on full. But it's inaccurate because this there's something that is interfering with your body's ability to accurately determine cues. And in this case, we would know what that is. It would be like, okay, this it seems to be that this is the medication. I want to note here that there are other things that are considered attunement disruptors, so things that could disrupt your ability to hear your body's cues, um, or put differently, things that could make your hunger fullness meter stay stuck on full or stuck on empty, um, you know, depending on the situation. So medications are just one of many potential attunement disruptors. So once you identify, okay, there's an attunement disruptor happening here and it's affecting my ability to um, hear my body's cues, what you could do in this situation is use the logical part of your brain because again, remember, intuitive eating is a combination of instinct, emotion, and logic. It's all three. So you could use the logical part of your brain and say, I know I have an attunement disruptor affecting my intuitive cues right now. I know that I just took this medication and it's going to cause me to falsely feel full or not hungry for several hours. However, from a place of self-care, I am going to override my intuitive cues using my logical brain and say, I'm going to eat something because I know that my body still needs fuel, even though my hunger fullness meter is stuck on full, my body still needs fuel despite the fact that I cannot hear my hunger cue right now. This is what the internal dialogue sounds like when you are using a combination of your instincts your emotion and your logic. That example doesn't really have emotion at play. We can go into another example. Emotion's pretty straightforward, actually. It's it's the element of intuitive eating that allows you to incorporate things that would emotionally satisfy you. So all of this to say, when you are dealing with a medication that maybe doles your appetite or makes your appetite go away altogether, what I would encourage you to do is to lean into the logical part of your brain that 
says, okay, I know that this medication is getting in the way of my ability to hear my body's cues. And I also know that my body needs nourishment still to run my basic functions, to fuel me throughout my day. And so the next piece of this question is, this wasn't explicitly asked, but it's the next piece that is important to address. It can sometimes be difficult to eat when you are not feeling physically hungry. What are some strategies to get calories in in times when you have a major entombment disruptor? Maybe it's the medication like we're talking about in the sake of this question. Maybe it's a really upsetting life event that went down. Um, I can remember personally a few months back, I was going through a really hard time and it felt difficult to eat because the emotions really took hold of my body's hunger and fullness cues. Maybe it's stress, maybe it's excitement. There's a lot of things that could be causing you to not feel hungry and make it hard to eat as a result. So when you have something like that going on, there are many strategies that you could try to help you get the calories in, get the fuel in, get the energy in, in a time when you don't really have an appetite. So let's start with what I would say is pretty common advice. Um, When I used to be a clinical dietitian in the hospital and anytime we were working with someone with low appetite, this is pretty common advice. And that is to drink your calories. How ironic, right? Diet culture says never drink your calories. That's horrible. You should never do that. It's such a waste. Guess what? Drinking your calories can be really helpful when it's difficult to eat because your appetite is turned off because your hunger fullness meter is stuck on full. Drinking your calories is helpful because it takes less energy and it takes less like thought almost. Like you could just be sipping on a really calorie dense smoothie or shake or something like this. And it's a way of delivering your body energy without like sitting down with a fork and a knife and a plate and eating a whole meal. If you are already not feeling hunger, it would be probably much more difficult to physically like eat a big meal and chew and prepare a whole meal. Whereas something with liquid calories, it's almost a way to kind of like subtly get the fuel into your body without your brain kind of like rejecting it in this way of like your brain being like, hey, we're not hungry. So that is one tactic. And of course, options for liquid calories, it could be smoothies with big scoops of peanut butter or full fat yogurt or milk or things like flax seeds. Uh, Those add a little bit more energy to the smoothie. Any of these things are options to kind of like bulk up the smoothie and give it more energy for you um, in a time when your body is is struggling to have the cues for, for energy. So the next strategy for getting fuel in during a time when your hunger fullness meter is stuck on full is also very common advice, which is small frequent meals. So sometimes it can be a lot less palatable or realistic for your brain and your body to take down a a regular sized meal. Um, So the alternative option is like smaller meals or snacks that are more calorie dense. So things again, like that maybe include like cheese or peanut butter, again, full fat yogurt, these things that are going to be a lot of bang for your buck in terms of like how much energy you're able to give your body. Um, we don't really want you eating, you know, if, if you're having small frequent meals and filling up on like things like, you know, carrots and cucumbers and rice cakes, mm, that's not going to be so helpful because those things are very low in energy. 
Remember that intuitive eating is about eating for the way that you want to feel in your body. You have the power to do this regardless of what medications you're on. This is something that's always accessible to you. I just want to name that if you are someone who was kind of humming about your life, you know, you are in a flow with your intuition and understanding your body's cues, and then all of a sudden you went on a medication that impacted your appetite, there will likely be a relearning period of coming to understand your body's cues in the context of this new baseline for you, this new medication. And Intuitive eating is a discovery process. When you leave the world of dieting and come into the world of eating according to your body's cues, that is a discovery process of like, what does hunger feel like for me? What does fullness feel like for me? What is feeling neutral, not hungry or full feel like to me? What does thirst feel like to me? Like all of these inside body cues, it becomes a discovery process of kind of like relearning them because there's something, they're cues that you were once connected with when you were younger, but ultimately lost touch with. So when you're on a medication, you're likely going to go through this relearning process again of like recalibrating to your body's, like I said, your body's new baseline in the context of this medication. And I would encourage you to stay compassionate with yourself as you're navigating this new part of your intuitive eating journey because it can be really different and and difficult to adjust when you throw a medication in in the mix. So staying compassionate with yourself, staying curious about how your body responds to things and just acting as like a neutral observer of noticing like, oh, okay, I had some liquid calories and that worked well for keeping me feeling energized, um, you know, throughout the day despite not having much of an appetite or, you know, small frequent meals worked well for me or eating a big meal before I took the medication worked well for me. These are all options. And the cool thing about intuitive eating is that you are the expert of your body. You get to be kind of like an anthropologist who gets to just study you and just kind of take note of like, oh, interesting. Like I had the a big meal before I took the medication and that kept me full. That kept me feeling energized for a while. That worked well. Or, you know, maybe there's something else that worked well. You get to be the one to decide what works for you. And you are the one in power. You know, I, I can give you these tips, but ultimately you get to observe what works well for you and run with that. So I just want to name that this is difficult. This is absolutely difficult because I I don't think it's being talked about enough. I think with intuitive eating, often like there's so many little potential ways that intuitive eating could be made more difficult, you know, for someone who's on a certain medication or for someone who um, is in a so- certain socioeconomic status. All of these things are the reason why I have this podcast and this listener Q&A segment so that we can dive into the nuance and be real about like, there are things that can interfere with our intuitive cues and make intuitive eating harder. That doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means that there's going to be a little bit of extra maybe like tools that you need or awareness or even just experimenting that might be necessary for you if you are a person who 
is experiencing one of these things that could add another hurdle to your intuitive eating journey. So I hope that's helpful for you, Daniel. And thank you for submitting this awesome question. Again, if you want to submit a question of your own, the link to do so is in the show notes. Okay, let's dive into the interview with Katie. Today, I am here with truly one of my dietitian BFFs, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Katie is a registered dietitian working in the eating disorder field with the goal of helping her patients establish a peaceful relationship with their bodies and become intuitive eaters. After attending college in a city that values a community-driven food system and the outdoors in Burlington, Vermont, Katie realized that this was the type of community she wanted to make a difference in. Currently, Katie resides in Bozeman, Montana, where she lives with her two dogs, spending time in the mountains through camping, trail running, and snowboarding. Knowing that mountain towns come with an increased level of disordered eating due to the never- ending year-round activities and emphasis on athleticism, Katie has made it her life's mission to help people understand that health doesn't have a look and that food and morality are two concepts that do not go together. Welcome, Katie. So excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Leah. It's great to see you. It's such like a, a surreal moment because I feel like you and I had so many walks to class at UVM where we're just like mm-hmm. discussing podcasts and discussing like yeah. all of these elements in the field. And now we get to discuss it for other people to hear. <laughs> I know it's kind of like our daily walk for a year coming to life, talking about our like business ventures in the future and how we kind of differ from that kind of like classic approach to dietetics. I remember we'd go to class and just hear something so ingrained in diet culture, a complete lesson. And we'd have that whole hour walk home to kind of dissect it and be like, should we say something to the professor? Why are we logging on my fitness? Yeah. Pal? Why are we using my fitness pal in a food service class? Um, yeah. <laughs> should we say something to the professor? Probably. And we probably did because we were those girls. Um, yes. <laughs> and it's so exciting too, because I feel like you have such a unique kind of like position in the intuitive eating field with your location, like you said in your bio, being in Bozeman, Montana. And I'm excited for you to bring that piece in because I think it's not spoken about enough. I want to start by having you tell us your story. What is your story with your relationship with food and body? Yeah. So I grew up in a very small bucolic farm town and Really, there wasn't much to do. Um, My dad always had me in a bunch of sports. And I ended up, I lived right next to a library. And I always kind of was there. Honestly, I was there every single day as a kid. And when I got to my teens, I spent a lot of time in my room. And I started getting into essentially brainwashing myself into diet culture. I started reading um, Fast Food Nation, um, Michael Moss, Salt, Sugar, Fat, which again, great writers, but really just, you know, me absorbing all of that, Michael Pollan as well, um, having a book called Food Rules, you know, I essentially started becoming this, nobody asked for it, um, educator of my community and my family to the point where it got pretty annoying and very dangerous for my own health. Um, I would say pretty bad case of orthorexia to the point of, you know, wanting to be the DD in high school at high school parties because I could drink green tea without anybody asking me. And 
not going out to dinner with my family unless they made the reservation before 7 p.m. Because in all the books I was reading, you're not supposed to eat past 7 p.m. Um, and, you know, crying if my parents decided to get pizza three nights in a row because I was worried for their health. And it was just, you know, I have a teacher who I recently met up with that was my English high school teacher and she's like I'll never forget I saw you in the corner and you would talk about how you had to count out your your almonds every day and you know I look back on that person and um I guess I would say that I am grateful for going through that because I wouldn't be at the place I am now um I think every day the way I approach my clientele is kind of like okay, like channel who you would have wanted, who Katie would have needed in high school, right? Like, who is that dietitian? What kind of personality would you have needed? How would you have wanted nutrition to be approached rather than like completely being attacked and like everything you're doing is wrong? That is the absolute last thing that anybody wants to hear, right? Because, you know, I think the, the best analogy I've heard related to nutrition is kind of like, everybody drives a car, and they don't, think they're a mechanic, but everybody eats and they think they're a nutritionist. Ugh, literally constantly such <laughs> a frustrating part of being in this field mm-hmm. of just like constantly dealing with people's anecdotal evidence and them like mm-hmm. suggesting it as fact just because they eat. Right. So, yeah. Now I live in Bozeman, Montana, which if you were to have told me 10 years ago, I'd be living in Montana, a New York girl, I would have laughed in your face. But I do live in a mountain town. So with that being said, kind of like Leah, you just mentioned, it's a whole level, new level of disordered eating to the point where you don't know what the, like what I guess like athleticism means, right? So like I have a very like intuitive, mindful approach to movement. And I would say I have always considered myself a runner. And here it's kind of like, you're not a real athlete unless you do 500 mile ultras a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets really dangerous because I didn't know anybody. And in the beginning, all of my friends were in that running community and it was really hard coming from, you know, the perspective and the area that I, that my job is in. Right. And like listening to people's diets about how they become the best runner and their training schedules and, I kind of had to take a step back and say like, okay, I have all this information. I know myself. And if I completely engulf myself into this world, then it's going to be very um, dangerous again and tumultuous. And, you know, I had to, again, ask myself, Katie, why do you love running? And what is your ideal approach to it? And I ended up finding, you know, a great group of friends who we do quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, trail running, um, where essentially we just kind of forage and walk through the woods and occasionally bring up the pace a little bit. Um, and it's really great. So yeah, but I will say um, it is, it was hard to navigate in the beginning, um, kind of like that approach that people do take to food here because there again is kind of like that morality and and through like a holistic approach and the farmer's markets and you know that kind of identity that comes with being a mountain athlete oh my gosh Um, yeah 
there's yeah. there's so much there. And before diving in even deeper with that whole element mm-hmm. of sort of subtle diet culture, I want to kind of get more clear on on your story. So you we we yeah. have high school Katie who's like spending mm-hmm. all this time reading all these books, like developing orthorexia, which for those listening is essentially an unhealthy obsession with health. Um, you know being the designated driver. So, so you can like have a sociable, socially acceptable way to not drink, save calories, all those pieces. What happens between there and living in Montana as a dietitian? Like how fill me in on, on that piece of your story. How do you come to realize this is a problem and then what happens next? Mm, Good question. So I'm not going to lie. I don't really think I ever realized it was a problem probably until my senior year of college. Um, I think that I never really had a role model in my life until I met my college friends, um, including you. And right, because I think growing up, again, we're we're exposed to this, um, I want to say like, Hollywood idea of what an eating disorder looks like and so you're like I'm not sick enough I don't have an eating disorder I don't look like that girl who is like you know white able-bodied thin blonde in the latest Netflix movie right and And I right and I and I wasn't you know I wasn't in the bathroom all day making myself throw up it was essentially just like a pathological approach, which I wouldn't be able to identify at the time. Um, And it was kind of what you're shown that is the good way of eating. So I was like, yes, I'm not eating any quote unquote junk food. So like, I'm just the picture perfect idea of health. And I think too, um, up until my early 20s, people were praising that they were like, Katie, you're just the healthy friend, like, I'm. how do you do that? Like, how do you go to a restaurant and like, you know, you eat salads and, you know, you're just, I just wish I could be like you. And I loved it, right? It was all these compliments fueling the eating disorder. Um, and then once I finally started finding out who Katie is and, and, and under, I guess, uncoupled from wanting to impress other people and wanting other people to praise me and meeting this great group of friends in college, like I started realizing and, you know, opening up to um, absorbing how they were talking about their bodies and how they were talking about food. And majority of them were not, um, I thought it was unbelievable that their plans um, and, you know, they were dictated by the exercise class that day or the type of food that was going to be at that party or event. Um, it was more so about um, really Im- immersing themselves into that culture of college and what that brings you, um, which is friends and again, learning new things and joining random clubs, even if it makes you uncomfortable. And, you know, I had to, again, take a step back and think about what I wanted to get out of college. Again, coming from a small farm town, a lot of people don't leave at all, ever. So Vermont, going to UVM was huge for me because I didn't know anybody and I didn't know how to just be. So I guess I just started taking after them. It didn't come easily. I have to say, 
I struggled with the thoughts of compulsive exercise up until probably that fifth year. Um, and again, I just, the role models of my friends really, really helped me out. And I think that it's, it's easier said than done. I will say that. <laughs> Do you remember a certain moment of realizing, oh my God, this is a, this is a problem. Cause like you, like you described, it's so hard to recognize that the way you're eating is, is an issue mm-hmm. when society praises it. So do you remember yeah. the moment where, where you came to realize like, oh shit, like this is actually like taking over my life? I, I do remember the day um, I was living as a freshman in college and um, had a very small dorm. And I remember like, I was like, I have to have a scale. Like I have, to, I don't know where my scale is. Had to buy one on Amazon. Um, and my freshman year roommate said to me, you know, I noticed like you're weighing yourself a lot. It's really triggering for me. Um, I feel like I also have to weigh myself because I was doing it weekly in front of her. And I remember too, she said that to me and there was a restaurant on campus. And I remember that every Friday as a freshman, you know, we'd go to a party and I had to make sure that I would get this spinach salad from the restaurant on campus. And that's the only thing I could eat. And if I ate something else, then for the rest of the night, my body image would be dictated by thinking about what I ate. Um, so I think, God bless her, my freshman year roommate um, definitely, you know, opened my eyes finally because she was the first one in my life that wasn't praising me for doing this and it, and didn't see it as a healthy behavior, saw it as like, hey, you know, I'm your friend and just like coming from genuine concern, you don't need to weigh yourself weekly. You don't need to have a scale in your dorm and you need to eat. Wow. What a powerful moment. Like she, does she know that the impact she had on you? I wonder. No, definitely yeah. not. I should let her know someday. <laughs> yeah. So from that moment, your roommate makes this comment and what happens from there? Like, it sounds like your, your friend group had a big impact of like, just noticing like, oh, mm-hmm. they eat so like freely and like, they are able to have more flexibility and have more space for fun, you know, random college things. What happens from the moment that your roommate says something until you kind of like start coming through recovery? So I think from there, I started asking myself the question as of like, how much of this is really impeding on your ability to live and enjoy this college experience? And the answer is wholeheartedly affecting the whole experience. (laughs) Um, So I started making it a point to as where before I would like deny any invitation to go eat at a dining hall, doing that, right? Using the meal plan that I'm paying for, Um, you know, making it a point to go out to eat several times a week and essentially just like exposure challenges. So, you know, whether it was like going out to lunch with a friend or, you know, going and doing a project with a group, right. And making sure it was like at a place where there would be food. I was kind of like secretly doing this. I didn't really want to be open about my struggles yet. So I think it was more of just like doing the challenges on my own and, and making sure that like, I was, you know, coming back to it. I was journaling a lot at the time and kind of like, it was interesting to kind of look back and see where I was at the beginning. And then I guess even by the end of that freshman year, thinking about, you know, what have I learned? And that was kind of the um, culprit that like led me to decide that I wanted to do 
nutrition as my major. Still struggling, of course, but that's kind of what led to that. Thank you for sharing those pieces of your story, by the way. That's a, yeah. it's it's cool too because we're friends and I, you know, you and I have casually exchanged bits and pieces of our story, but I've never heard you kind of tell it from the beginning. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think it's really interesting to ask any dietetic student their story of how they got into it because everybody's is so unique, but at the same time, so similar. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So where is the, the, where on the timeline do you discover intuitive eating? You know what, Leah? I'm pretty sure it was you. Wait, what? Um, <laughs> yeah, you told me about this like prolific experience you had reading a book, and it was intuitive eating and your whole story, which I'm sure you've told before. Um, because I do remember we had a fantastic professor, shout out to Lizzie, um, <laughs> who did who did talk about some of the principles and of intuitive eating, but I never had gotten my hands on the book until you told me about your experience. And it opened my eyes. Again, I actually just finished the um, intuitive eating supervision to become an intuitive eating counselor last night. And they asked for us to share one thing. And I said, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was a little, I was a little confused at the end of my education about where I wanted to go with, with dietetics and nutrition and intuitive eating really kind of opened my eyes and essentially like saved my life in the point of like, wow, this is how I want to help people and the studies and the research and just like how people's lives change. It's not just about nutrition. It's about every aspect of your life that has changed because of your relationship with food. Yeah. We, I'm shocked right now. I I had no idea. (laughs) I told you about the book. So had you read anti-diet first or intuitive eating was your first exposure? Intuitive eating was my first exposure, but I really did love anti-diet. Yeah. It's, um, so your, it's so your style, like the I know. Her voice. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. Um, but they were both together, just like so eye-opening. And I still, it's really funny that we're bringing up the book Intuitive Eating um, because I actually got a text from my neighbor yesterday and she was like, Hi, Katie. You know, I've never been on a diet before, but I really want to lose weight. I know you're a dietitian. Um, can we just talk and you can help me out? And, you know, I'm sure we've all been asked this a million times. And the way I responded was like, instead of doing my whole spiel, I'm like, hey, I, I actually come from an anti-diet approach. I don't, I don't do weight loss because I think it's harmful. I was like, thanks for reaching out. I'm actually going to leave a fantastic book on your patio and once you read it get back to me and then we can chat and it was intuitive mm. meeting there was my original copy with all everything highlighted so I mm. really hope she's reading it right now that's I love how you just looked out the window like maybe you could see her yeah. reading it right now <laughs> that's so powerful yeah I actually really I haven't shared I don't think I've shared the story of of yeah. my experience reading the book but in short pretty much freshman year at UVM there was a class where it was like a bunch of different dietitians came in and they spoke to us. It was like NFS 44 and they spoke to Mm -hmm. us about what they did in the field. And this one woman came in one day and she said, I'm, I'm an intuitive eating dietitian. And like the, the point of the class was to expose us to all different options in the field. And I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard that term before. And I was just like, completely took like, taken by it. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I need to know more. And at the end of her presentation, she kind of was just like, 
if you want to learn more about intuitive eating, here's a book I recommend. And I was like, I need to read that now. Like on the way home from class, I stopped at the library, got the book, like absolutely devoured it on my little top bunk of my forced triple freshman room (laughs) because nothing in my life had ever been so true. Like I was just like, everything about this, it is exactly what I needed to hear. It was such a powerful experience. Yeah. And especially reading that and you know, it, it essentially goes against everything in the first few years of our curriculum. Yeah. And I think for you, what I noticed as well as myself is it not many professors were super well-versed in intuitive eating. So um, when they always said something that was like really diety, I know you for sure, like would always raise your hand and be like, actually, and you would kind <laughs> of like frame it as a question, but you would be challenging them a little bit, which was amazing and I think of course some professors are probably still like oh Leah she challenged me (laughs) (laughs) I know oh my god I definitely was like that person in class but I have no regrets (laughs) I know amazing (laughs) wow that is so special Katie I am glad I asked the question of of the moment that you discovered intuitive eating because I had no idea it was through me that feels so surreal to to hear so during undergrad and you know I it was cool because I was with you during this experience, you worked for um, a company that will remain nameless, but that is ultimately mm-hmm. a diet company. And yes. so I'm curious what your journey was like through kind of working for this company and coming to realize like, oh, this actually like isn't aligned with my true philosophy within the field. Definitely. Great question. So how it started should we should we make a code name for this company that yeah, I worked for? Sure. Make make one up right now. That's a great idea. Voldemort. Voldemort. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know. Um, so basically, um, as any major, we are taught very early on that you want to build your resume as much as possible because grades only get you so far. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that, you know, by the time I graduated, that I had a really packed resume. Um, And I did do some wonderful things. I did a lot of food system work. And then um, there was this new company that was emerging. And my advisor at the time knew of a recent graduate that was already pretty high up at this company. So immediately I was like, yeah, I'm going to email her and see what happens. And I think I was a junior at the time. And I got the job. And the job was really great because I could work whenever I wanted. Um, so what I didn't realize was how harmful the work that this company was doing to people. Um, essentially I realized a lot. I learned a lot about, um, how do I want to say this? How insidious diet culture can be, Mm -hmm. um, and how, captivating it can be to the general public in terms of those who just want to quote unquote be healthier and healthier is affiliated with manipulating your body um so I watched that I watched that kind of company grow to one of the biggest diet corporations by you know their marketing tactics so really kind of promoting weight loss but under the guise of of wellness and I think when I started realizing it was harmful was 
when I realized that there wasn't a genuine approach to working with a client. It was more just like, if they use this word, like plateau, for example, if they use plateau, because their weight has plateaued, then you essentially type in the word plateau into like some Excel sheet and find an already written out um, copy, (laughs) copy and paste that into, Hey, I've heard, you know, I see that you've hit a plateau. It can be related to a lot of things. Um, can be related to hormones, water retention, and maybe you're eating a lot of um, this color food. I don't want to. Yeah. So basically, um, there was a, a system, um, a stoplight system, if you will, um, because this, I guess, was the rationale for taking the psychological approach to eating. Um, so basically, really calorically dense food was red medium was yellow and then your eat as much as you want was green so your fruits your vegetables whatever they considered green and not only were you told to weigh yourself every day but you had an allotted amount of red food you could have so if you went over it then you're getting all of these notifications on your phone um and you're you're having to revise your your quote-unquote goals so it's essentially just just making somebody spiral, right? Because then you're getting messages like, I'm so sorry, like I had my son's birthday party, right? And you're like, have to be like, it's okay, you know? Like, how can we like get back to it on Monday, right? So essentially like you engaged in this last supper mentality, like how can we get back to your disordered habits on Monday? So again, it's like still really like, telling this it's really like just keeping that person in that dieting cycle of like you know let's get you like as disconnected from your body as possible and give you like okay you get a cheat meal you know and then you got to go back you know Mm -hmm. back on track because your body is going to suffer and you're going to gain all this weight and it's going to be the worst thing ever then once I was so before I ended up leaving this company I would start typing messages on my own, not using the copy and paste anymore. She went off script. (laughs) Yes, I went off script completely. And I wasn't my own person. So like I was essentially a shadow worker. So I would go under somebody else's name, male or female, any kind of any, any quote unquote um, coach. And I would just answer for them because they would either be on vacation or it'd be the weekend, anything. Um, So I started typing the complete opposite of what of what the what I was supposed to say. And then I never knew how the person responded because I was a shadow worker and I would just be logged out. But I always like what's an example that. of like what you might respond? So like if they said would, I just went off track, okay. it was my son's birthday yeah, and I yes, ate too many ex- bad foods. Yeah. Or it would be, okay, so this weekend I'm really worried because I have a party and the food is going to be all red and I'm really worried. And I would just type like, hey, so-and-so, I can acknowledge that you're, you're nervous about this upcoming party this weekend. And I want you to think about how important that social experience is going to be for you and how much that that food contributes to you having, you know, a great time and being able to interact with your friends and family, something along the lines of that. And, you know, I never, I never saw what they responded, but I truly like would start leaving my shifts. Like, well, I really hope I made an impact in this huge company. Um, But looking back, you know, I am grateful for the experience because I truly got to see 
behind the scenes of one of the biggest diet corporations yeah. of, of our century, you and, know, and it's modern guys, like in its fancy Instagram, Instagram, you know, targeted ads that like, you know, it's not like dieting. It's not your parents diet. Like it's like a trendy young diet. So you really got to see yeah. the inside of, of this like phenomenon yeah. going on in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Cause I was like, I would just pretend I'm like this investigative journalist and someday I can use this experience you know, to learn and, and take it. And now I take it and I, and I talk about it all the time with my clients because I'm like, oh, you use, you use that platform. I can tell you everything about it. And I can right. tell you why it didn't work for you. It's not your fault. Right. That's because so, so many people think it's their fault and then they have quote unquote, no willpower, right? right. right. You set up to fail. So you just, you can, they can recharge your, your credit card. You're right. never supposed to finish. Right. It was never about, so, it was never about you succeeding. It was only about them keeping you susceptible mm-hmm. and keeping continuing to take your money. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It like literally like my heart rate's going up talking about it. Like it, it just I know. it upsets me so much because I've had multiple clients who have tried that particular um diet platform and they came mm-hmm. to me and they said, like, you know, like I really thought I knew diets don't work. I knew that diets don't work. And I really mm-hmm. thought this wasn't a diet. They came out and say it in their marketing, this isn't a diet. And then they end up, it, it is a diet. They end up in the same guilt, shame, binge restrict spiral cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's just so upsetting because we're finally starting to get the message out that diets don't work. And now the diet industry yeah. is co-opting that research and saying, oh yeah, we're not a diet. And it's just so freaking evil. Yeah. And again, I think like the only advice that I give to my clients when they talk about this is like anything that is anything that's having you kind of like essentially like, or say they're taking like a psychological approach, right? I mean, I think, again, it's worth just looking into, like, if you're using a stoplight approach, and somebody is auditing your food, not not for an emotional sense, not for like, you know, not related to eating disorders, and it's not a health professional, like, it's a diet, right? Again, like, if they're just having you record your food, so they can audit you and tell you what you're doing wrong, in the sense of like, this specific food is wrong, that is a diet. And I think, again, I don't, I think it's unfortunate, but you know, you can't really trust any company now. It's like, it's not a diet, it's wellness. It's, you know, we're going to make your life so much better. And I think that's the problem too, is because so many clients are like, I want to make my life better and making their life better. You know, when you ask more about it, they're like, uh, well, it'd be through manipulating your, my body, because that's what they've been told. Their their life's going to completely change by that weight loss. When in reality, nothing changes except negative physical effects and isolation and everything else that comes with it. The most surprising part to me that I didn't know was the element of it being so like robotic, like all the canned responses, Mm -hmm. how you would just like go into an Excel doc. Like it wasn't even like a personalized human really like talking to you and hearing you and your specific struggles more. It was just like, you know, firing off like pre-made responses. Like that part also infuriates me because human beings have different needs and need to be spoken to like individuals. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, it was that approach to nutrition where it's like one size fits all this calorie goal, if you will, works for everybody. There was no, 
And and it's funny because a lot of these diet companies preach that they have the most like up-to-date scientific backed research. And it's like, okay, if you know anything about science, then you know that there's so many different potential outcomes and correlation does not imply causation. And like the fact that you think that 1200 calories will work for everybody and when it's for a toddler, right? And yeah, and, and that these goals that you can choose from, like there's like five different sections, but they're essentially all related to changing the size of your body. Um, yeah, it's just really harmful. And I do get angry talking about it. And I'm not asked about it a lot. So yeah. I feel like right now I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that I did that. Yeah. Um, well, it's like you said, it's part of your story and it helps inform, you know, the work you do with your clients now. And you have a really, really unique inside insight into that world. And thank you for enlightening us with those juicy details. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back to the mountain town elements of your work. So can you explain, first of all, what is a mountain town and why do, do does disordered eating kind of thrive in a mountain town setting? Yes. Um, so I cannot speak to all mountain towns, um, but I will speak to the mountain town of Bozeman, Montana. Um, I would define it as community that is built upon athleticism, year-round sports available. So we have, again, huge mountain biking community, huge trail running community, of course, skiing, many resorts all over, um, snowboarding, backcountry, things I had never even heard of before I came here, snowshoeing, right? So that is a perk of a mountain town is that there is something to do year round. So that's kind of what you're seeing too with like real estate and such with COVID and people working remote is like you're seeing um, like crazy housing prices go up because now everybody's like, I want to live in, in, some, in a place where year round there's always something to do. And unfortunately with a mountain town comes contentious relationships with exercise, right? So I think again, fundamentally, a lot of people Um, believe that exercise is affiliated with food in the sense of like, you have to earn your food or you have to burn something off. I cannot tell you, Leah, how many dates I've been on where (laughs) (laughs) the guy is like a mountain biker or skier and like, is like, well, I probably burned this many calories today. So I'm going to order this. And I'm like, oh no. The, the amount of red flags as a dietitian, it's so different. You're like, and with or, that, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Or like you live next, I live next to a really um, renowned bakery in Montana and it's amazing. And they're like, you live next to that bakery. Like I would be so X amount of pounds and, and this body size if I, if I lived there. And I'm like, all right, another one, another one in yep. the trash. We have a fat phobic man here. Okay. You yes, will not be yes. a person. <laughs> But, you know, the whole community is essentially like, it's, I don't want to say the whole community, but I think that this, I, this notion of like weight um, you is equivalent with health is yeah. very, very prominent. I think about the, how expensive a lot of the activities that you're describing are these like extreme sports, you know, like skiing, mountain mm-hmm. biking, um, even like all the gear for camping and hiking and backpacking. And I think about the element of like socioeconomic status and what that plays into Mm -hmm. these ideas around 
the ideal body and the yeah. these ideas around like purity and like the right diet. And it just, to me, feels like a connection worth mentioning. Definitely. And I think that what I've noticed is, you know, of course, everybody has their opinion on food wherever you go. But here it is like the way the verbiage around food and body and the amount of um, like even like exercise places opening, right? Like gyms and cycling studios and, you know, hit classes. Um, whenever you go to a grocery store, somebody's always selling like the newest like paleo vegan chocolate date bar, right? right? And you can't escape it. And I think, again, though, there's a lot of opportunity for people to learn about intuitive eating, which is great. But I think, again, like that whole socioeconomic aspect of it really plays into that, again, like morality is directly related to the type of food that you eat and the restaurants that you go to and who has the quote unquote cleanest food and that with the lowest calories. Right. Right. It's such a, an interesting thing. Cause I mean, I, we went, Katie and I both went to school in Burlington, Vermont, which was, is another place that would be considered a mountain town, pretty much close mm-hmm. to the mountains. Therefore the culture yeah. kind of follows that. And another element of mountain towns from my experience living in Burlington, Vermont is this, what people kind of call like crunchy, like being very like into the environment, like into like taking care of yourself and all of those Mm. things are great. But oftentimes I've seen disordered eating under the guise of like, you know, I'm just like a clean eater for like the purity of my body, like almost Mm. like under the guise of spirituality, because a lot of that crunchiness kind of comes hand in hand with spirituality or yeah. under the guise of environmentalism, something like, you know, I'm a vegan for environmental reasons, mm-hmm. but really it's like a socially acceptable way to have a very restrictive diet where no one will ever, you know, raise an eye because they're just like, oh, well, she just really cares about the environment. I get that a lot. And I have a few approaches I take with that. When I get an overall goal, when I'm first working with somebody, I'm doing an intake and they want to see me because they want to really dive into more of this like sustainable way of eating. I explore that a little bit more with them, acknowledge where they're coming from. And I talk to them about values related to that overall goal of sustainability and environmentalism. And hopefully by the end of the conversation with probing them with a few questions, what the client realizes is that if a value is truly impeding on your health, then what are other ways that are not going to harm you that you can practice this value? So for example, a couple people that have been really into like, you know, environmentalism and trying to find a sustainable way of eating, they kind of realized, okay, I've been trying to do this, but I do realize that there's like a lot of guilt and shame if I am craving this type of food or I do binge on this type of food. So we talk about other ways that they can practice that value, such as like, maybe once in a while, you're buying local, or, you know, maybe you're donating to, you know, your favorite, like environmental cause, right. And I think, though, when we get into more veganism, a lot of the times, somebody isn't firsthand able to recognize that it is directly related to a disorder. I think that that can be a little bit harder to navigate because without being accusatory on my end, I think that it's hard because as a dietitian, you're like, veganism like isn't super sustainable. I think that it's really hard 
to follow a vegan diet and get everything you need and honor your cravings. Of course, some people can do it, but I think that if you have any past relationship with disordered eating or an eating disorder, it is a, it's really kind of dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the first questions I'll ask is like, okay, so you're vegan. Do you feel any guilt or shame when you're eating like vegan desserts, like Oreos, right? Or vegan ice cream, or are you binging on non-vegan foods? And um, I'll ask them kind of like how much that value of veganism also goes into their life in the sense of like makeup, clothing, products that they use, cleaning products, right? Anything. Mm, Um, And what they kind of realize, of course, by the end of it is like, okay, I'm binging on either like vegan desserts or non-vegan food. That's telling me that my body is missing something and I, I need to address it. Yeah. Those are all really good questions. And, and I, I think about a lot of the similar things when I'm working with someone who's a vegan, I do believe it's possible to be a vegan, eat intuitively. I think it's very difficult. And I think very often yeah. it's a cover up for disordered eating. Um, but yeah, the things I'm looking for are like, okay, cool. You're a vegan. Are you having the full range of foods? Are you having bread? Are you having vegan desserts, vegan ice cream? Because if you're a vegan and only having like these certain like safe foods within, like if you have these restrictions within the restriction, that to me is Mm -hmm. like where major red flags are. Exactly. Yes. So within the, the mountain town community, I just remember there was this place in Burlington, Vermont, where we went to school, City Market and it's like sort of a co-op grocery store mm-hmm. kind of sounds like what you're describing in Montana, like always having mm-hmm. the yeah, we have co-op. <laughs> yeah, like you know, the most like current trendy paleo puffs and whatever it is. And I would go into that store, City Market, once I had healed my relationship with food. And I just would like have this feeling in my heart that like, I hope you're okay. Like the people shopping there, I'm like, I hope you guys I are know. okay. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I would shop in places like that, like Whole Foods and stuff, when I struggled with my own disordered eating and it was totally coming from a place of like, okay, this place is safe. Like every food in here is like whole and like better. Like it's quote unquote, like morally superior than like, if I were to go to a conventional like Hannaford's or something, because that's like, that's that like superiority complex that having disorder eating, namely orthorexia gives you. And so Mm -hmm. once I was on the other side of it, I just remember like looking at the the people walk passerbys, you know, dressed in like very crunchy ways. And there's nothing wrong with being crunchy to be super clear, but I think Mm -hmm. oftentimes it could go, like I said, the crunchiness could, could kind of allow eating disorders to go under the radar as a guise of like, it's just like my body is a temple. And like, I just eat in this way because it's like part of who I am. That is very prevalent in both Montana. And again, I, I, I guess the way I kind of see this, because I do get a lot of questions on like, you know, if somebody has a friend or a family member that's eating that way, how can they address it? And I think what I've come to realize is I can get into so many arguments with somebody like this. And it takes a lot of emotional energy, I would say. And what it comes down to is if somebody is not open to addressing their relationship with food or understanding that it might be a problem, it's really not worth arguing with them about Mm -hmm. it. And especially in Bozeman, like I I really have to sometimes bite my tongue because I would. And as you know, like we both do this or did this arguing with people about their view on food, because again, going back 
full circle, everybody has an opinion and everybody thinks that their way is the best way. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I've come to realize is like, I have through my own therapy, I've kind of learned to navigate through something when somebody's saying something about food that I wholeheartedly do not agree with. And they're taking that very like purist approach. It's not my place. Yeah, it's my job. And I'm always putting in 100% every day with the clients that I work with who do truly believe that, you know, their relationship with food in the past is a problem and they want to address it. But like, who am I to challenge, you know, somebody when they truly believe it's working yeah. for them? You yeah. Know? When someone's right? committed to misunderstanding you, which is going to be a yeah. waste of your energy. And that's not your work. Like I always say to my clients, you are doing enough by doing this work for yourself, by doing exactly. the work for yourself. It's rippling because mm -hmm. If you are a person who has children, like you're preventing your children from being exposed to a parent with disordered eating, or if you're a person yeah. who, um, even, even just in your friend circle and your family circle, you can lead by example, by disengaging and divesting from diet culture. That is enough. hundred mm percent. -hmm. And it's like with the co-ops and the really expensive kind of niche food, you know, who am I to say that like your turmeric tiger blood you know, lion pee latte does not make you feel better, right? Like, who am I to say that? And with a lot of these local small businesses that do, you know, take that purist approach to health, like, good job. Like, I mean, I guess like in the sense right. of like, you're passionate about food, you started a small business. I'm sorry that maybe like along the way you got maybe a bit tied up in diet culture, but if that's your passion, it. Yeah, I, I love to bring, I'm so glad you bring this up. I love to just say like diet culture doesn't own like Buddha bowls and tiger, no, whatever, like exactly. superfoods and, and flax seeds and chia and all these sort of like obscure quote unquote, yes. like super health foods. So like you mm -hmm. can eating those things, but the key is your intention. And like, I can fully name when I was in the throes of disordered eating, my intention was like, this is purifying me. This is making me so yeah. holy and noble. And like, I'm so good for doing this. And now all these yep. years later, like, yeah, sometimes I like chia seeds. I don't know. And it just comes yeah. from a place of like, that would be, add cool texture to my meal. And so the intention changes and, and mm -hmm. that does, that that's a, a way you can still participate. You can still have these, these things in your life if you actually enjoy them i think the difference exactly. is like are you you know slugging down a green smoothie because you feel like you have to and that's like the only way to be healthy yeah. or do you actually enjoy that experience yeah or it's like are you are you having that like i'm going to say it wrong like acai bowl i say <laughs> acai but like it might be acai who who knows this is I, one of the greatest so mysteries somebody tell me um <laughs> it's kind of like bon iver bon iver like, yeah <laughs> But anyway, it's like, too, like, you know, are you having that ACI bowl on a Saturday because you're so hungover and like relinquishing all your sins and you truly believe that like that ACI and Chia is going to, it's going to do that. Or are you having it because it's truly, you know, what your body is desiring, craving something cold and refreshing, right? Yeah, exactly. Great example. <laughs> yeah. So I like to ask this question, what's your biggest diet culture pet peeve? So my biggest diet culture pet peeve is when I see a very popular food blogger who is promoting, um, you know, an all foods fit or, you know, food neutrality, but all they're using is like, again, those very like elitist, expensive ingredients. And it's not like 
normal food. It's more just like, we're making, it's like, I'll, I'll be scrolling my Instagram and it's like, we're making blondies today. I'm like, hell yeah, I love blondies. And it's like chickpeas. It's like coconut flour. It's like raw goat milk. I'm like, one <laughs> person. Blondie. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I this just happened to me, Katie. You know, okay, do you remember cosmic brownies from like when yes! you were younger? Yes. Yeah. So I saw on my like discover page, someone was like, just uh cosmic brownies, like make making remaking cosmic brownies. I was like, oh sick. I love a fudgy brownie. Like this would be so fun to make. I click Hell it, yeah. it's like dates and coconut oil. And like again, all of those things are fine, but like I want real sugar. Right. I want the real cosmic brownie. Yes from you know yeah. in kindergarten and that's what I would get with my lunch money and, I know and I agree with that like these people who are supposedly all foods fit intuitive eating food neutrality yet their actions don't align they're only using like you said expensive elitist kind of ingredients no no and then and then the verbiage around the recipe is like light and healthy yeah. and right it's like just stay in your lane yeah. Um, and leave, leave, leave the verbiage neutrality. Stuff and like, to us. can we leave the vital proteins out of everything? Like, why did this cosmic brownie have proteins in it? Yuck. Like, I just yeah. don't with, uh, yeah. Okay. Now I'm going off. Like, these are my no, big I culture pet peeves. It comes up on our feeds. And I also, it, it makes me laugh because we used to be so aligned with that. Like, I remember, you know, when we were younger, like all the dietitians would be like, yeah, I made these amazing, like, you know, cricket protein, black bean brownies, right? And we were like, yeah, they're so good. And now it's like, I make re- real brownies all the time. And if you were to give me that, I probably would be like, hmm, I don't, I don't love it. I know. I look back on like the years when I would only like cook with like really weird, obscure things and like made my family eat it. I'm like, I just want to yeah. say sorry to them that I I, yeah. I, <laughs> I made you eat like weird shit that wasn't actually good. <laughs> I know, I know. Tell me. What, how has your life changed since you became an intuitive eater? Good question. So much has changed. I would say my entire life. And I know that sounds like a big, profound statement, but I truly believe that my whole life. Um, and I say that because like, as you have heard from my story, everything was dictated by food and body image, everything. Um, whether that was like, you know, romantic relationships, intimacy, friendships, school, education, interests, hobbies. I didn't have any because it was all food. And now it is so much more. Like I, I, I love food and, and I have such a deep love for food and, and learning more about it in terms of like counseling and and baking and cooking, like I, I have a friend that's a caterer here and I'm like, I will just work for you for free because I would love to see how you make everything. And, 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 you know, no longer are my days and social plans dictated, but what I had to eat that day, or if I went over my calorie goal on my fitness pal, and if I tried on a shirt and, and I didn't really like how it looked, right. I wouldn't, I'm not sitting in my bed all day and thinking about the workout classes I have to do for the next seven days. And, you know, but the, the recipes I have to plan out. I think it's just been so eye-opening that something like that, you know, like a couple principles can really change your life. Yeah. Um, and I always say that to my clients. And again, like you truly see that come to fruition when you're done working with a client. I'm sure you see this too. And 
you see their whole life change and like where they came from that one that first day to where they are several months later it's like nothing beats that feeling that you helped them get through that and become like this new person essentially it truly is so beautiful I have chills thinking about it yeah it's amazing I couldn't ask for and like who would have thought right like going into dietetics like we're only taught there's like a couple careers you can take and it's food service clinical and maybe nutrition marketing um, which are all great. And if you're interested in them, I, I think it can be super rewarding. Um, but I think for us, there was always that uncertainty of like, what are we going to do? And I think, you know, falling into this place of being able to help others while using like our personality and our experience and our opinions and, and our quirkiness, you know, really, really is. Just, yeah. I can and, ask for anything. More. And having the lived experience too of like, having been in the trenches of it like you we both Mm -hmm. deeply struggled with disordered eating and it's in our past but not so far in our past that we can't access the memories of how deeply unhappy and and how much food thoughts really like took over both of our lives I think that Mm -hmm. is it's so powerful when working with with others because you can just like actually see them in their current experience yeah you can relate right like there yeah there is like no better teacher than experience. Mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, That's I totally true. know where they're at when I first see them walk in the door um, or come on my Zoom screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. What does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? For me, intuition is, you know, co- being completely aligned with what your body is telling you. So, you know, gut feelings, cues, and using those to help guide you through your life. Um, I think that means a lot to me because in the past, I would never be listening to intuition. And I would always be doing something for somebody else or worrying about how they would think about me if I don't do what they want me to do or say what they want me to do. Or I think we talked about this the other day. Um, my connections were, were solely from hot wiring them, which means truly just just finding friendships through talking negatively about someone or something else and not really, you know, aligning on values and and views and and, and intellectual conversations. So for me, intuition has truly helped me, like it's guided me to where I am now and like helped me be an individual and not afraid to, to talk about you know, my beliefs and my views without worrying about how other people are going to view me or if somebody doesn't like me. Because I always remind myself, if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Yep. So I love that. <laughs> Is there anything else on your heart that you're wanting to share today? If you're listening to this and you're questioning kind of like if, if your relationship with food is dictating certain aspects in your life in a negative way um, and you don't know if you should seek help or not, I promise you do it. And even if you just start by reading intuitive eating, taking that first step, it, it truly is the the first step to the rest of your life. Mm. Um, so take, take the leap. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for saying yeah. that. I think that's a really powerful message yeah. for anyone listening. And if someone is wanting to stay in contact with you or hear more from you, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at Katie Campbell Nutrition. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, of course. Uh, Thank you, Leah. 
If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you.